Steeped in the 10,000 Things, a podcast where we look at East Asian medicine, acupuncture, tai chi, martial arts, tea, and herbal medicine through the perspective of evidence-based research. I am your host, one of your hosts, Michael Brown. I am an acupuncturist and doctor of acupuncture and Chinese medicine in the Bay Area. Uh, I'm Zachary Krebs, uh, acupuncture student. And we will be speaking today primarily about Tai Chi research. There's uh, an amazing amount of Tai Chi research, uh, enough that there are at least 10 different systematic reviews of all of that research, uh, hundreds and hundreds of studies that we'll be summarizing for you and looking at uh, with special perspectives from Zach uh, in his expertise in martial arts and uh, my experience in recommending and using Qigong type movements for patients in different clinical settings. This is an exciting topic because a lot of the breakthroughs and successes that I've had with students uh, occurred in conjunction with referring out to acupuncturists for things that Tai Chi would kind of generally help with, but then they would get the specific help and then they'd come back to class and it really worked quite well. oversteeped, which is funny because I usually tell people, oh, you, you can't oversteep pu'er or ripe pu'er, but I, I proved that that is wrong. <laughs> what did you do? I, I put it in a thermos with uh, boiling hot water and I let it sit for like a half an hour and then I poured it out and it is almost too strong to drink, even after diluting a little bit. Um, it's probably perfect for my nervous system right now because it's been a long tiresome week and uh, the added intensity is both clarifying and uh, helpful in, in clearing my mind and keeping me focused what are you drinking um i'm drinking some yerba mate that is way too strong so i'm probably gonna be on like caffeine high for at least 10 percent of this episode yeah, I'm right there with you. It's, it's just where we're at today. But I did use uh, raw honey, so I'm probably going to cure all of my health issues with that. That's all I need. It's just that one thing, and that's going to solve everything, right? Like Tai Chi just solves everything, or Qigong, or maybe it's the combination of things that lead one to health. I think there's a, a human flaw to uh, hope and wish for uh, something to save us. From, from our existence, and I think it's the basis for a lot of religion and the basis for a lot of uh, magical thinking in, in medicine. Uh, that there's one thing that if I do this one thing, it'll, it'll fix everything. But I don't think that's, I don't, as far as I know, that, that thing doesn't exist. And that's why we're finding, or at least I'm seeing, a lot of our research is combining things, doing doing multiple strategies uh, actually gets better outcomes than just one strategy. So what do you know? I mean, it's, a, it's the same with agriculture too. I mean, if we just, you know, dump pesticides on our land, it'll kill the things we don't want there, but maybe that causes another problem. Maybe we need to regenerate the soil. Maybe we need to change our farming practices. It's just like that 
in our body and it's it's just easier to see when you like can look at like a field and the practice is outside of you but when it's inside of you it's tough to quantify right and that's why it's helpful to have an expert outside looking in and saying hey have you thought about this oh no i totally just ignored that and thank you for bringing it to my attention that's actually an awesome segue into the Tai Chi research discussion because uh, when I was living with my Tai Chi teacher, he loved mate as well. So he also loved Chinese tonic herbs and mm. he, he didn't have a lot of, you know, inhibitions on how to use them. So I'm not recommending this to anyone, but what we would do is, uh, you know, he'd make the super strong mate in one of those huge blue, like uh, camping coffee pots or whatever. Oh, yeah. You just dump like a ton of like cordyceps and other you know tonic herbs into Whoa. there and then i'd wake up usually too late you know he'd be kind of mad because i he wanted to be to class on time and then i would just drink a ton of that and then we'd go to class and then he'd be like now we're gonna do standing practice so stand still after you <laughs> drink all the mate and the tonic <laughs> herbs and then i would just shake for like 30 yeah. minutes and then eventually it all just settled down into my feet and i felt really normal it was a strange conversion so something was definitely happening for uh parasympathetic there to deal with that tide of caffeine and cordyceps Let's look at some of the research that's been done. There's surprisingly a, a ton, a ton of research. And so what we're going to do is look at the systematic reviews and meta-analyses, which for those who aren't as familiar with uh, research, these are basically summary analysis of multiple studies. So uh, looking at the available, usually they do a database uh, search for a certain topic and then they narrow it down uh, based on certain criteria and qualities uh, of research or certain standards uh, or certain types of studies. And then what they'll do is try to an analyze the results and uh, pool the results and look at it in a bigger picture kind of statistically if you're doing a meta-analysis, uh, and then also just generally looking at the cumulative results of all of those studies in kind of one big picture. So what I wanted to do was just read off the titles, uh, because we're not going to get to dive into each of these studies, because there's just too much, but I will put a link in the show notes to all of these, these studies, and if anyone ever needs access to the full paper, let me know. Uh, we can usually get a copy of it. So the first one, uh, in no particular order, uh, let's see, we've got Tai Chi on Psychological Wellbeing, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis in the BMC Complementary and Alternative Medicine Journal from 2010. We have uh, one of the oldest ones here is The Effect of Tai Chi on Health Outcomes in Patients with Chronic Conditions, a Systematic Review that was done in uh, the Archives of Internal Medicine, which is on the Journal of American Medical Association. 
we have the effectiveness of Tai Chi in breast cancer patients, a systematic review and meta-analysis. This is in complementary therapies in clinical practice from this year. Also from this year on a similar topic, or sorry, not on a similar topic, uh, Tai Chi exercise for psychological well-being among adults with cardiovascular disease, a systematic review and meta-analysis. That's in the European Journal of Cardiovascular Nursing from this year. We have benefits of Tai Chi exercise among adults with chronic heart failure, a systematic review and meta-analysis, again from this year in the Journal of Cardiovascular Nursing. We have the effect of Tai Chi on four chronic conditions, cancer, osteoarthritis, heart failure, and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, COPD, a systematic review and meta-analysis. And that is from 2015 in the British Medical Journal. We have effects of Tai Chi on lower limb proprioception in adults age over 55, a systematic review and meta-analysis in the Archives of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation, and that was from 2018. From scientific reports, we have Tai Chi for chronic pain conditions, a systematic review and meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials from 2015-2016. Almost done. <laughs> we have the effect of Chinese martial arts Tai Chi Chuan on prevention of osteoporosis, a systematic review uh, from Science Direct and the Journal of Orthopedic Translation from 2017. We have Tai Chi and Qigong for cancer-related symptoms and quality of life, a systematic review and meta-analysis from Journal of Cancer Survivorship in 2017. And we have Tai Chi for essential hypertension, a systematic review of randomized controlled trials from 2020 in the current Hypertension Reports Journal. So that is a lot of research. <laughs> Are there any, any that stand out to you or that you wanna to dive into first? It, it is a lot. And so when I see that much evidence for something, and we haven't gone into like how all the studies were done yet, and we don't have time to do that. But um, assuming we did that, and I read quite a few of these, um, we see that there's a preponderance of evidence that Tai Chi actually does have systemic health benefits. And then you, we can go from there to go to the more specific, you know, use cases. So um, one of the uh, interesting ones was the one that said the effect on, of Tai Chi on health outcomes in patients with chronic conditions. I was looking into that study and some quotes from that say that uh, the psychosocial benefits uh, appear to be safe and effective in promoting balance control, flexibility, and cardiovascular fitness for older adults with chronic conditions. So my question is like how does it do that just like you know right. what is the mechanism of action um the mechanism that allows these benefits to occur and so then that comes down to how do you define what tai chi actually is and a lot of these studies seem to boil down to essentially in most cases the yang style 24 form or a derivative of that or some kind of qigong uh, that's taking moves from yang style tai chi or has a very similar you know archetypal movement pattern and so most of those studies seem to work with alleviating you know uh stress fatigue depression and improving your sleep quality and then that seems to have some cumulative effect on 
these other conditions. Uh, so it's used in usually like in conjunction with standard care or other forms of treatment to work with like side effects and benefits. Um, and that's what I was reading for most of these. So um, we could talk about that one or any of them that really piqued your interest. And I mean, I've actually experienced that in my teaching. Like I've seen people who, you know, couldn't squat to the floor, be able to squat who are 80 plus years old. You know, I've seen incredible things. Um, and I've seen some weird things too, like, you know, cult like behavior and mm. learning settings. So it's, it's really hard to define what Tai Chi is and, it's hard to qualify what's good or effective Tai Chi or not. And right. it's hard to keep it going, keep classes right. going with people, you know? Yeah, there's there's a lot of challenges uh, when you're trying to get the patient to, in many cases, voluntarily do something. Um, but it's interesting to look in that one study you were referencing, that's the, the chronic condition. So it's looking at kind of how does it affect a wide variety of, of things osteoarthritis, cancer, heart failure, and COPD. There's a huge range here. For example, they say the Tai Chi training program ranged from six to 24 weeks. That's a huge range. And most were of 12 week duration. So on average around 12 weeks. Session length ranged from 30 to 90 minutes and most were of one hour. So average was around an hour. Tai Chi training was usually offered two to three times per week. However, three studies provided Tai Chi once weekly. And in one study, participants were asked to attend Tai Chi training every day. And so there's a, a nice range there, but it gives, I think it starts to give us a sense, and this is obviously only one study, we can jump around to the others to see what, what those look like. But based on your experience as a teacher uh, and knowing what's necessary to achieve some kind of, of outcome, um, we know, and we've talked about before, if you do one session of acupuncture or if you work out once or you do tai chi once you're not going to see any result just like if you are given a medication maybe a, a good analogy would be uh, antibiotics if you only take one of the whole course of um, the prescription it's not going to work properly and that's why there's strict warnings with medications like that that you have to finish the whole course the whole bottle of all the pills you have to do all the 12 weeks or or full hour of tai chi uh, to to achieve uh, significant results so it presents a challenge when it's up to the patient uh, to to help and and actually take on uh, but that's just a challenge in medicine in general is getting patient participation definitely um i think I think it kind of functions in a similar way to like patients who receive acupuncture who are sent home with herbs to modulate certain conditions. Like it's something that you can take regularly outside the context of the clinic. So then right. when you come back, you're more workable and you've seen improvements. Right. So like Tai Chi is kind of like that, but mm -hmm. it's self-serve. You can't, you know, you, you don't drink it, you have to do it. And so you have to learn uh, these methods. And I think, a lot of the research in the future should probably delve into how to make it easier to learn and make uh, stable class structures that uh, can transmit the core principles in ways that uh, are accessible to different demographics and different kinds of people and audiences. I mean, 
I've just with what's going on in America in general, I can say that some of my um, students just didn't like anything from China. That was a roadblock for them. They mm -hmm. wanted to learn Tai Chi, but they didn't want to hear any Chinese words or anything right. that sounded like it was from China. And so right. is there a way to deal with that? It could, you know, it's like, and that gets into like, what is Tai Chi? Could you do something totally different with the same principles and is that still tai chi or right. you know what is it is it squatting down and moving from your core while you breathe or you know well speaking to that uh looking at one of the other studies and just looking at the language used uh in the journal of cardiovascular nursing the study benefits of tai chi exercise among adults with chronic heart failure they're using language here that basically helps me put that into perspective. Tai Chi is a form of physical therapy. It's in here from, from this article, it says exercise-based cardiac rehabilitation. So you, you can start to use words that don't trigger people's emotional or, uh, you know, whatever triggers, <laughs> like trigger warning. I'm going to say China, watch out. Uh, you can just use other, other words. <laughs> that maybe don't don't have any cultural or political uh, reference to them. So as we were talking about last last episode, we have to navigate, unfortunately, these, to me, and some just silly kind of uh, biases in, in ourselves and our patients and in the populations we're trying to share helpful information or helpful tools with. So we just have to find other words uh, that might be appealing or digestible. So physical therapy informed by what do you what do you think in terms of introducing it as a form of physical therapy as a form of quote exercise based cardiac rehabilitation in this case i think it's really contextual like depending on the audience you're presenting it to how you would define what it is and um use the appropriate language like i was looking at the acupuncture and the tai chi pages on wikipedia to see what they say and you know that's a future podcast episode what you know wikipedia says about acupuncture but oh, yeah. for some reason they allow the tai chi page to say that tai chi does have cardiac benefits in it for the elderly and for reducing blood pressure so they'll let tai chi have a health benefit but acupuncture is a quote-unquote pseudoscience on Wikipedia as it stands now. Um, and so part of that is just, um, I guess maybe like if I was like, here's an example. So at our local hospital, there's a Tai Chi guy who's teaching um, or was prior to COVID teaching um, with people rehabilitating on the, the cardiac floor. So, you know, that's one common example is there'll be like one Tai Chi person who gets like the whole realm of the hospital to do their intervention program for. And they'll explain how it works and what it does in terms of, you know, cardiac rehabilitation. Um, so they have like objective metrics they work with that they can say like, well, if you do Tai Chi on, on this schedule, then your levels will change or you'll have better or uh, better quality of life, perhaps a little better heart function or your symptoms might uh, alleviate a little bit here or there. So it's like that context is different than, uh, the like Tai Chi for martial art class where people are coming in to see like if you can push them across the room or something, then suddenly Tai Chi is like a different thing. Mm -hmm. so it really depends on who you're talking to. And some people don't even think we should do it as a health practice at all. And right. 
and then you have to deal with those opinions and it becomes, yeah, it becomes interesting. Um, I love the topic, but ultimately I just like using it for helping people in community centers and senior centers. Like those were the most grateful people that just felt that it really helped them and they love to do it. And they, they really love the class too, just mm. coming to class, meeting people, having friends. And I think that goes into the, the um, psychological and social part of pain and how it really helped them on that level. Cause right, the quality you, of life as well. Yeah. The quality of life. And, and that was, that came up in one of the studies too. Um, the questionnaire for how to define quality of life. It was from the world health organization. And so they have a questionnaire on the quality of life and a survey. And it's a bunch of questions that are really interesting to look at. When yeah. I was looking through it, I was like, how happy am I? I was like, am I even living a good life myself? Mm -hmm. So it's kind of funny. Yeah. Those survey tools are really interesting. Uh, there's so many of them and it's interesting to see which ones are used and, and then interesting to dive into the research into them too. Like uh, it's nice to see if you're using a tool, like a survey, is it, is it actually a useful tool? So there is some, when I was digging into and learning about uh, survey tools, when we were doing uh, building our own studies for the, the doctorate or, or learning about. Uh, different types of, of research. We looked at survey tools and there's huge databases of them. And then you can kind of research which ones are, are most used, uh, which ones have, have been actually studied for their quality and accuracy and usefulness for whatever it is you're studying. But the quality of life ones are always interesting because it's, it's an interesting thing to try to assess is, is what is someone's quality of life. And it's also cool to see how it's become a, a useful and value valued measure too it's speaking of of quality of life the one of the start uh, studies uh, that we were looking at that was really interesting to me was the title the one titled tai chi on psychological well-being a systematic review and meta-analysis from 2010 they pulled from 11 different databases in 2009 looking at randomized controlled trials, non-randomized controlled studies, and observational studies, and ended up with 40 studies totaling 3,817 subjects, and approximately 29 psychological measurements were assessed. For them, again, it was roughly an hour, but it ranged anywhere from an hour to a year of regular Tai Chi, so a huge range. And I love how these studies always start, especially a well-written one like this, you start with the background, like why, why are you even reading a paper on this? Well, quote, mental illness affects 450 million people worldwide with 25% of the population affected in their lifetimes. It is a leading cause of disability for people aged 15 to 44. A growing list of psychological states, including stress, anxiety, depression, and mood disturbance have been linked to many chronic disorders, such as coronary heart disease, cancer, diabetes, and mental disorders, as well as to accidents. Mental illness poses significant economic burdens to those involved, reduces productivity, and increases health care costs. Thus, there is an urgent need for inexpensive and effective strategies to promote psychological well-being and improve general health status, especially for people with chronic conditions, end quote. So it, it's a huge problem. Well, when you put it that way, it seems so good, and that's a big issue with research, I think, is that it's hard to believe that something like Tai Chi or 
acupuncture or other other modalities like this um, can just be generally beneficial and help people in so many ways without many risks or many side effects or really anything bad happening on some level our culture doesn't want to believe that that's possible in by our culture maybe i'll say mainstream u.s culture right. I, I don't i don't claim to be the whole culture here but um when i'm just looking through this uh this study looking at all these different uh rcts um, randomized controlled trials i'm looking at the kind of tai chi they're doing and it's what i see from that is it it almost doesn't matter what kind of tai chi you do what style you do because there's soon style wu style yang style there's all in, in there are different variations i mean generally what we would say uh, my teacher would say is you need to come to class uh, twice a week for an hour, and then you'll get the benefit if you do it for, for a few months. And that's really what I see in most of these studies. Mm. And it's interesting to see what they're comparing it to. Like one of them was, uh, you know, 40 minutes a week uh, for some kind of Tai Chi style three times a week, and just comparing that to health education for depression. So like, What's going to make you feel better? Just sitting in a classroom learning about health or coming to a, a bubbling Tai Chi class three times a week where you get to talk with other people and see them actually get better and form friendships and learn how to breathe and move and, and balance and get stronger. I mean, to me, it's pretty clear which one's going to be more su successful. Not to knock health education. It's not like an either or. But, you know, if it's a it's a trial, you have to have a control arm. You have to compare right. it to something, right? Right. And it's interesting to see where you're, you have your, your anecdotal personal experience as a, both a student and a, and a practitioner and a teacher of, of Tai Chi and what you learn from your teacher, what, what he recommends, right? And then to look at a, a mass of data like this and see the trends and see is there uh, any amount of, of uh, coherence or lining up between your personal uh, beliefs and knowledge and the objective or data-driven analysis of, of a lot of different studies and a, a lot of different circumstances and, and uh, attempts to measure these very personalized experiences? Because obviously all these studies include real human beings and, and a variety of different styles and things. And, and it seems like you could arrive at what we would call evidence-based, evidence-informed recommendations then. Um, it seems like you should be doing it probably at least twice a week, roughly an hour each time, and for at least a number of months without having to land on a specific number. But you can start to, to feel more, at least for me personally, I'll speak for myself, I can start to feel more confident in recommending something, uh, knowing I have not just uh, an expert's opinion on it, it's based on tradition and cumulative professional experience doing it for many years, but also uh, this kind of research-based evidence too. I, I think that is the pinnacle of good medicine, at least in my mind. Uh, don't just rely on your, your personal opinions because we can't always trust those. And it's good to have a certain amount of confidence, but also a certain amount of uh, self-awareness that we have biases that we're constantly having to check. And one way to check them is to look at, at research. And that's, that's why we uh, are focusing on and sharing this kind of uh, discussion 
so that, that we don't just have mythological, personal, subjective opinions that are driving us, but we're also trying to, to balance that with some kind of research and just strengthen our arguments or, or realize maybe our our arguments have some flaws and, and we need to readjust accordingly. I agree with you completely. And, you know, I learned a lot reading this particular study and the other ones that you sent to me, because as a teacher, I can just see what's working in these trials and what's not working as well. And I can modify my own methods based on that evidence-based recommendations and learn from other people who are teaching because in my brief experience learning Tai Chi or these other arts, everyone goes about it a slightly different way, but there's a lot in common. And there have been some things that I've done or that people recommended I do that did hurt me. They were not good for me. Mm. And if you blindly follow a tradition, um, you know, you might keep doing something uh, with the hope that, you know, one day you're really going to get it and then you'll finally know everything and be this perfect, healthy human being who has no flaws and no problems. And then, you know, that's going back to that kind of cult-like idea. And I think that we should really try to minimize that conception of how like a lineage or a Tai Chi class runs and maybe just um, for health claims, stick to the more evidence-based claims when we're doing it or teaching it or recommending it. And then those more um, lineage-based claims, um, I think there's just maybe a different way to deal with those. Um, and, you know, part of it is it's an unlicensed um, practice. So it's not like acupuncture. There's no like Tai Chi license. So there, there's a bunch of weird stuff out there, too, that um, people may not have put in the time to be an effective teacher or to have a full uh, understanding of, you know, anatomy and physiology prior to teaching. And that can be a problem when you're working with people who have real issues like chronic knee pain or back pain. And um, that's just something that I think the Tai Chi profession itself is slowly starting to address. Um, oh, that's good. So I'm pretty happy about it. But just like any other profession, there's a lot of disputes. And going back to what you said, um, it is good to weigh our personal experience against the available evidence. Uh, and I think with Tai Chi in particular, there's just so much evidence that it works now for these general things like mental health, uh, psychological well-being, uh, that really I could safely recommend it to everyone unless they had, I mean, I, I'm just trying to think of who would I say, no, you shouldn't do Tai Chi. I mean, there's also yoga, there's also other, like Qigong, right. other forms of therapy that may be better suited in certain cases. So. We could look into that too. What I haven't been able to, to figure out, um, and it, it came up just, just now, a question is, uh, are all of these, uh, were you able to tell, uh, were any of these studies, the subjects in the studies, were they doing the Tai Chi on their own? Or was it mostly in group settings? Or Because that's a question too, how much of, of some of the benefit is coming from, like you've been emphasizing the group, therapy type social environment. But then I realized, well, that's not necessarily how uh, Tai Chi is, is done in these, in these studies, right? It could just be the person doing it on their own or with like a, an individual instructor, like at a physical therapy session. So that's obviously we have to like 
it's like acupuncture. There's, there isn't a certain amount of, or any kind of treatment, there's a certain amount of psychosocial influence on the outcome. And how do we separate that from the results and the measurements? It's sometimes maybe impossible, but you can attempt to design studies in a way, or at least be aware that that might be an influencing factor. Um, Definitely. Did um, you notice? The ones that I was reading that you sent me were more of a group setting, not uh, alone, solitary, you know, at home doing it or in the park or something. So I do think you're right to assume that the group setting does have an influence on the result. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I haven't exhaustively looked at all of them. Uh, in my own experience as a learner or a student, I would have teachers who would say stuff like the goal of coming to class is to get to learn the methods, to learn the forms and the process of doing Tai Chi and then learn that feeling that you get from doing it around the other people and from the teacher and then to take that back home and replicate that experience on your own. The same feeling just on your own. So I'm sure that psychological process of going through that is also important to the healing effect. Um, do, being able to invest in your own health proactively on your own without the class there. I mean, that's what I would always recommend my students do is, you know, take what they learn in class and do it on their own and ultimately not need me. I mean, not right. need the class um, in right. not dependence, but independence is really the goal. Right. And I, it brings up that uh, famous quote from the Neijing is a, a truly skilled doctor is treating a whole nation or group, a large group. And how does one do that? Well, you teach people to take care of themselves, right? So public health being an attempt to try to affect population-wide health outcomes and challenges, uh, it seems like uh, some kind of exercise-based therapy, um, obviously, there are so many different kinds of exercise, but there's something about Tai Chi in, in where, wherein you're using uh, gentle, controlled, often symmetrical movements uh, that engage both sides of the brain. Uh, so there's neurological stimulation that occurs without huge uh, anatomical stresses. And then there's also the regulation of the nervous system with controlled breathing, because oftentimes breathing is a key uh, lesson in, at least in my experience of Tai Chi and Qigong, is, is being aware of what you're doing with your breath while you're moving, and often synchronizing your breathing and controlling your breathing and becoming aware of your breathing while you're moving. And there is some powerful effect. And that brings up something maybe we'll look at in the future, but is mindfulness uh, meditation and it's looking at that in research and how that's being now understood to have uh, significant effect and clinical effects that are, are making it become uh, a recommended complementary therapy as well and that's just sitting and breathing or watching your breathing so there's something there um, and it's it's not that that complicated uh, or it doesn't have to be that complicated
and that I, that would be great to follow up on. And that's why Tai Chi and these modalities are sometimes hard to study is because in my mind, the reality of a Tai Chi class experience or even an individual experience of doing it is Tai Chi and Qigong and meditation are really all part of this one experience. It's not just like I only do Tai Chi when I work with a group. Like we usually start um, standing completely still and breathing, holding a still posture. So it's like standing meditation. And then we'll do some Qigong, like a small series of Qigong exercises to work with the breath and the mind. And according to some people, to distribute and normalize the qi and gas, um, like nitric oxide in the body. Uh, and then we'll move into our Tai Chi, and then the Tai Chi uses the two things before it, the stillness and the breathing and the Qigong, to integrate those into uh, this kind of long form, slow motion that's an integrative result of those other trainings. So then ultimately, the more you do that, then you can just start with Tai Chi. So that's mm -hmm. like the saying that like, it's actually really hard to do Tai Chi to just pop into it, you know, you have to kind of prepare. Right. Yeah, I remember all the good teachers I've had start with your posture. And that's really a, a mindfulness exercise of becoming aware of how you're holding your body. Uh, it's so easy to be completely unaware of how you're holding your body. And oftentimes, even just bringing awareness to parts of your body start to change your perceptions, uh, pain patterns and things. So even that fundamental, fundamental initial awareness exercise and postural assessment is just, it's a physical therapy in and of itself. So if you can learn to do that, that can have profound effects. But then of course, like you're describing how you build layers of, of knowledge, layers of, of, synchronized activity you just start building an even more potentially powerful potent uh, therapy which explains some of the results you see here where like they're comparing tai chi to uh, vigorous walking or some activity so there seems to be a measurable difference between regular activities and tai chi as an activity and what what would that be i'm, I'm guessing based on what you just described and what we've been talking about is is a more focused awareness of the, a building of of mindfulness around the breath and the posture and the movement and learning how to feel and move in a certain way and a synchronized way and a planned artful way and it's it's different than walking to just walk or doing work in the garden or whatever it is so it gets really um, trippy at some point because like a lot of my teachers would say like, you know, Tai Chi, Tai Chi is life. Like you learn it in the class, but then your next goal is to apply it to everything you do. So like we study how to walk and how to squat and how to do all these things in our Tai Chi class. And then you go into your normal life and you start gardening or walking or, you know, shoveling the snow or raking your yard or mowing the, your yard or whatever, and you find a more like Tai Chi way to do it. So then it, it, it can actually become those things. And then it gets really hard to study because it, you would have two people doing the same thing going on, on a walk or someone who does more Tai Chi inspired walking. Are those actually the same thing? And there's even a form of like running or jogging that's based on Tai Chi um, that has been invented that also shows positive results. So 
it even gets weirder the more layers you add to it. So my first teacher was a chef and he just explained it like, it's like building flavor, you know, when you make a soup, like you could just use like the, the stock you bought from the store in the little uh, jar, the little uh, box, and then it's kind of okay. But if you like simmer the bones and, you know, for a couple days or something and add your local spices and flavors and then use that to build your meal, it's just, it's not even in the same universe. Right. Or I mean, it is technically, but you know, it's like when you taste it, you know, it's like the difference between an organic tomato or, or a conventional tomato. Like, can science tell you which one is better? I don't know. I mean, but I'd like to know why one is better because I can taste one. Definitely right. tastes better. Well, we're we're gonna do a shorter episode today, but I thought to uh, wrap up and put this into some sort of uh, practical recommendations. Do you have any? recommendations for anyone listening to either start for themselves where would where should people go to learn tai chi uh, or where should they send uh, patients or or people that they're working with what what would you recommend well we're living in the era of youtube and apps so the question is can you learn tai chi or qigong online and that's the question there's no answer there so what i did or what my teacher helped me start with was this form of qigong called shibashir qigong it's a series of 18 movements and they're kind of from tai chi uh, so I just kind of view it as learning how to do a Tai Chi move in one place without having to string it all together. I could just do one move again and again and again and then move on to the next one. And I started there for a few years and then I transitioned into more forms and complicated methodologies. But that basic beginning worked really well for me as a young person and mm. the older adults that were around me. So um I know a couple of people who teach it online. It's a you know YouTube search away, uh, or just go to a local uh, community center and just look at the students. You know, just see like are people happy? Is it is it are people getting good results? Uh, does it feel like a good place? And uh, my my teacher, my other teacher, um, Edward Hines, wrote a book called uh, How to Pick a a Tai Chi teacher or something like that, how to pick an internal art teacher. I think that's a really good read before you go selecting something. It'll tell you how to look for it and the uh, the roadblocks you may have. Okay, yeah, send me the link and we'll put that in the show notes. And uh, we'll also write out Shabashir. You said it was 18 form, 18th movement form. Yeah, it's from Professor Lin Hoshang, and I might have, you know, pronounce that incorrectly i apologize but it's a it's a it's a it's 18 movements that are together in one form uh or one sequence and there's actually eight sets of 18 you know the first one the first set of 18 and the second set of 18 are pretty accessible and easy to do and you can find them online and online classes for them i like that that's just my kool-aid but there's a lot of different ways you could do it are there any uh, really even simpler um, Qigong movements or a single Qigong exercise that, that you like to start warm-ups with or anything like that that you found? That's a good question. So um, I think one of the simplest ways to approach it is the rising and falling action of Qi. 
So if there's even, I think, one kind of qigong where the, the motion or the first move is called lift the qi up, pour the qi down, and there's a very simple hand motion you can do with that. Just something about, you know, like breathing in, lifting your hands, breathing out, dropping your hands. And there's you can do that with your arms in front of you or more up your center channel and down. Um, generally, some variation of that is a really good way to start. And pretty much every style of Tai Chi or Qigong starts with a motion like that. So if you just look up really anything and just look at the first thing they do, you could probably start there. Yeah, I think that's a good goal, I would say, for anyone. And I'm speaking for myself, really, but surely it would be useful for anyone who feels overwhelmed by learning a whole form. Like we've been saying, you don't have to do that and give yourself time. Just just learn the real basic warm-up stuff first. Just start with the warm-ups and f learn how to uh, do the warm-up if you find one you like. So that's a, I, I like that advice. And... Yeah, the tie into acupuncture, if you know, you can get some acupuncture too and, and feel the qi moving in you and then go back home and do a little qigong on your own or tai chi, it's a lot easier to feel and then you'll know what we're talking about. So I really recommend the two together. Yeah, and that, that points to future discussions we'll have where we talk about what is qi, um, is it sensations felt by the nervous system, is it a magical energy? Uh, We'll, we'll have to dig into that because I'm really, it's a, it's a fun conversation and there's some fascinating research uh, that attempts to understand what that is. And there's some amazing discussion and argument around it as well. So we'll have to wrap up for today. Uh, this is a nice short dive. Uh, if anyone wants, they can look in the show notes and look at all of these studies. There's hours and hours of, of research uh, to, to read here. Uh, but there's some really beautiful diagrams in some of these that summarize uh, a lot of data and makes it uh, digestible and quickly usable, like we've been saying, uh, in, your, in your practice or in your uh, thinking about public health and how to help larger groups of people with uh, chronic health conditions, mental health issues. This has been Steeped in 10,000 Things, a podcast that hopes to look at Chinese medicine from the unified perspectives of science, tradition, and the unknowable. We welcome feedback, questions, topic suggestions, and ask that if you find our discussion helpful or valuable, please share with your friends and colleagues. If you want to reach us, email michael at michael at abundant-heaven.com and Zach at zkrebs at gmail.com. Any research referenced will be linked in the show notes. Until next time, may heaven and earth guide and protect you.